Hi, welcome to Two Towns Over. This show is made possible by our patrons. If you want to monetarily support the show, we're at patreon.com slash two towns over. If you can't support us financially, then you can support us algorithmically by liking, rating, and sharing. Thanks. Enjoy the show. same moveset as the 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 cop boss oh yeah yeah, yeah the same moveset moveset oh the same attack patterns gotcha if you haven't played lies of p you should i don't know because i tend to get massively frustrated with like souls um, games so i mean i Ruben. get frustrated with them but that's part of it for me I came very close to breaking a tv and a controller over dark souls uh, yeah you got to you got to know the limit <laughs> you gotta know the limit because I enjoy having an outlet for that type of frustration where you're just like God fuck shit, and then you can summon a specter and destroy a boss. Like it only <laughs> takes two or three tries. It's amazing. Meanwhile, I'll be get I'll get shit on by a boss in a Dark Souls or a Souls like game for like three straight hours. Yeah, and still not get terribly frustrated. I'll just be like, Oh god damn! Like I'll turn it into little songs as you, I'm swearing. After a while. It does become that. Yeah. Uh -huh. I like the Lies of P bosses because for me, so far, I mean, I just hit the difficulty spike. So far, it's been just good enough to hit that frustration peak and then hit a moment where it, be that moment where it becomes like almost zen because of how funny it is. Uh -huh. And then that's the, that's the sweet spot, yep. baby. Um, and as someone who's... Uh, a dozen or so hours further than you. That's the little difficulty spike. <laughs> so welcome everybody to Two Towns Over. I am Father Donathan. Um, my nose has only grown. Ah, ah, I see, I see. Mm. Uh, Tell me I'm... lies. Tell me lies, Pinocchio. Anyways, you never heard that nope. joke. Yes, I have heard that joke. <laughs> we have I'm heard just that ashamed. joke. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Josh, also known as very upset about this. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm getting old. My senility is going to be bitching. Anyway, oh, no, not not about that. About today's subject matter. No. So today, no, Don, we love you in all of your weird glory. <laughs> Great. Yeah, that doesn't make me feel old at all. So, how does that make you old? You're just weird. We love glorious. you, Grandpa. I said we love you, Don. Okay, Grandpa, let's get you <laughs> to right, bed. All right, Gramps. Yeah. But um, no. so because somebody decided somebody to call me out in the last script that they did, um, we I, have an I urban legend tied to this. Oh, yeah, I did. That's right. Yeah. Wahapa? Oh, I'm yeah. He made a comment about how the show used to talk about urban legends. Oh, yeah. Uh -huh. Yeah. And technically, I, th I thought it was a funny, self-deprecating joke about our show that we would share as a group and go ha 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 from our bellies. Look at how and far we've come. Yeah, we don't do what we say we do. I was like, our format has changed, and that's okay. Ha ha ha, and we'd all laugh. But then you got mad at me. I'm not really mad. <laughs> <laughs> I really don't care. 
Uh, I've, I've sick, actually thought about I've actually thought about changing the name of the show to Urban Legends and True Crime Podcast. Nah, it has to stay the way it is. Yeah. <laughs> so that's also way too long. It's already too long. What's our Urban Legend? Though? Hold on. So the Urban Legend that we're doing is called The Roommate's Death. Oh, is this the one? No, go. You go first, because there's a movie that I think might be uh, about similar things. So two female college roommates have decided to remain on campus during a school vacation. Right. One girl leaves the room to get some food, use the restroom, and run some errands while the other girl stays behind. The absent roommate returns later that night and tiptoes into the room without turning on the light. She believes her roommate may have her new boyfriend in bed with her as she hears some heavy breathing and movements across the room. Thinking nothing of it, she falls asleep, only to awaken the next morning to her roommate lying dead in her bed in a pool of blood. Above the lifeless body, the murderer had written on the wall in blood, aren't you glad you didn't turn on the light? That's stupid. I don't make them. I know. I just repeat them. I don't know. I, I'm just acknowledging that it's stupid. So... <laughs> I mean, this is the only thing that we're going to get to laugh at in this story. So. <laughs> My stance on it, all, all of them are. Oh, yeah. So, like... Some of them are fun stupid, though. That one's just stupid. I like... I appreciate this one for being <coughs> about as close to realistic as a horror story can get. Mm-hmm. Because shit like that does happen. Not exactly like that, but like... People will come in and murder their ex and just not fuck with you. Yeah. Because they didn't know you were sleeping in the other room or some shit. And I, there is a vague similarity to the actual, you know, the actual murder case under discussion here. Yeah, that's why I chose it. A vague similarity. Yeah. That's how urban legend. Yeah. There have been less. That, or that's how urban yeah, yeah, some legend. Of the things that's we've fair. Done. Huh? I was I was trying to come up with the correct wrong way to say that. And uh-huh. I think it's that's how Urban's legend. Ah, uh, yeah. Gotcha. So, like I said, today we're talking about Amanda Knox, and it's a Josh script, which means, like always, there is a Give a, me the title. The title. And the title did title it. From the new Fallout Boy is I can't make up a funny title for this story because it's just too fucking infuriating. That's a good title. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> so here it's by two- Panic at the Disco, actually. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. definitely a Panic at the Disco song. So here at Two Towns Over, we talk about different stories from different reasons. Sometimes we come across a delightfully silly story, like our midweek, and we discuss it for a good laugh. Sometimes we dig deep to find the humor in the midst of an otherwise very dark story. Hell, sometimes there isn't a story at all, and we gleefully subject our listeners to an hour and a half of three nerds who can't seem to shut up about Assassin's Creed. Fuck, I do love Assassin's Creed. Man, it's so good. <laughs> it's just so good. Some stories, however, we discuss because they must be discussed. It's this one. So before we dig into the subject matter here, let's get a few things straight. This is not officially an After Dark episode, because now that we'll be finding very little, but know that we'll be finding very little humor in this story. As content warnings go, there will be descriptions of brutal crime scenes, coercion, both physical and psychological, and mentions of sexual assault and harassment. Now, the feelings elicited in these two episodes will likely be on par with the very lengthy series on the West Memphis Three during which Josh compared the two cases frequently. Additionally, we want to put out the disclaimer that there are by no means that we are by no means experts. We're not discussing this case for educational purposes. We're discussing it to give our opinions and because travesties like it deserve to be talked about. If any of this is a deal breaker for you, we'd never hold it against you. That is speak for yourself. If no, you don't have to listen to things you don't want to listen to. That's true. We're <laughs> not forcing you yeah. to listen to shit like 
If you're not in the headspace for that right now, come back later. Like we we straddle a very fucking tight rope. Like yeah, th- like we make light of real tragedy. Like that happens sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. But and then like, there's certain stories like this where that's not what we're about to do, right? And it's and that's, there's a line, and we try to follow it as best we can. But yeah. we understand if that line is different for you well, than it is for us. Even when you think about like with Alfred Packer, I and mean, this is not one of those times. Like we're firmly on one side of the fence on this one, right? And it's the cautious one. But like with Alfred Packer, we never joked about him killing the people. No, we, no. we never we joked, joked about, about the, the stupid victims. names. We joked yeah. about him being an idiot. Uh-huh. So, I mean... Right. Yeah. It's always fine to make fun of a murderer. I believe right. that if we're going to have to remember their names, they should be associated with ridicule. <laughs> yeah, it, exactly. That's where I come from on talking about true crime as entertainment, is we should be making fun of them. I truly think that we uh, should... Most, most of them, because there are some of them, like... You know, we yeah. we had fun with the Ed Gein story, but also Ed himself was a victim in his like, own right. Tragically, a victim, yeah. sort of like yeah. But yeah, we and, you know we we dived in, we dove into that. But th- this one, I wanted to make a point really early on of saying that you know we're not we're not doing this to educate really and we're not even really doing it to entertain i'm sure people will find it an entertaining story to hear about but i wanted to do this story because the more we talked about the west memphis three the more parallels i found between the two cases and the biggest difference really here is that in the end of this justice was largely served right Whereas it that's good was only kind of served like, in West Memphis for 3. For the West Memphis you know? 3, all we got was like a sandwich 22 years too late or whatever, yeah, or 18 exactly. years too late. Yeah. And like a sandwich and an I'm sorry. Uh-huh. And that's not all. Not even an I'm not sorry. Even, I'm sorry. Not even an I'm sorry. Like they had to be like, it doesn't matter. <laughs> oh, God. But like it was fucked. And. That was not good enough. It was breadcrumbs right. at the end of 18 years. Uh-huh. And, like, but hopefully what, this will be a little bit more um, satisfying of an ending, at least. Kind of. Kind of. Um, I, I hesitated to say satisfying, because I know what kind of podcast we're on, but, like... Yeah, exactly. So, like I was saying, we we don't joke about victims on the show. We joke about perpetrators. Right. And and only the almost, ones that like can be joked about, right? Exactly. Al- almost everyone in this story is going to be a victim, as we'll see. So there's not going to be a whole lot of room to inject humor. I, yeah, I might, but I have an inappropriate sense of emotions sometimes because I get nervous. I just bear in mind that many, pretty much everybody involved in this case is still alive. Yeah, so, that's a big part of it. Yeah. Is like, unlike Silly Mitchell, a.k.a. Billy Mitchell, go fuck yourself. He is losing his case so bad. It's hilarious. It's f- amazing. Um, and literally, in large part, because he fucking sued Carl Jobst. I know, yeah. We don't have to get into that right Anyway, now, it doesn't matter. Okay. Whew. So while you often hear of this whole... <laughs> Thank you. While you often hear of this whole ordeal being referred to as the Amanda Knox trial because she was the one at the center of the media portrayal, we want to make a point to mention that this story has many victims and even more villains. 
But the only one of those victims who lost their life was Meredith Kircher. Her memory was further tainted as her tragic death was twisted into a media frenzy and used to attack two innocent individuals who just so happened to have the wrong trauma response, according to Italian law enforcement. Now, really three, because not to get too far ahead, but three, three people are wrongfully arrested. Um as the result of basically they felt like Amanda was acting weird. Mm. Jesus. So with all that being said, let's get into it. So large portions portions of this story, especially when relating to hard facts, will be read directly from famoustrials.com as written by Professor Douglas O. Linder. I love I love famoustrials.com. Famous-trials.com. A bunch of a huge collection of stories or not stories, uh articles basically written by Professor Douglas O. Linder. Um, essentially, most of the script, uh, I I chop it up and edit it for us quite a bit, but a lot of it is read directly from his article about it. Don will be reading mostly from that, and I did so much research over the last 72 hours, um, and I'll be interjecting with extra stuff throughout. So it was supposed to be a year of growth, learning, and exploration. Amanda Knox hoped to experience the world beyond her middle-class West Seattle neighborhood and learn Italian. She also considered her prior sexual experience limited. Four guys, all in committed relationships, and wanted to change that. For her year abroad, she... Ooh, she wanted to go through her whole phase. Yeah. A little bit. Yes, yeah, queen. Just a little. For we her... all want to sometimes, baby. Let's do it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> For her year abroad, she wanted, she wrote later, sex to be about empowerment and pleasure. But what, for Amanda, was That's supposed... Some good shit was supposed to be a dream year studying at the university for foreigners in Perugia, Italy, turned into a nightmare. When Amanda's British roommate, Meredith Kircher, was discovered brutally murdered, Italian authorities leapt to the unlikely conclusion that Amanda, her Italian boyfriend, and a third person barely known to Amanda, committed the crime as the result of a sex game gone horribly wrong. What? Oh, yeah. For the press, from Italy to Britain to America and beyond, it was a story too good to pass up. Ooh. So it's in in relation to you know we said we said she she wanted to go through her whole phase just a little bit. I'm, so hey, she, listen, I'm about to move to a new state to do that shit. <laughs> I know, yeah. I already I already switched my Hinge profile to that town. I'm working on some shit right now. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> <laughs> um. So her and her sister, I believe, had gone to uh, Italy in advance to look for housing, right? And so she got up there because she was already planning to do the the year abroad. She was signed up for the program and everything, but she needed housing. She didn't want to stay on campus. And she, like, met a guy on the train who was, like, kind of creepy. But she made out with him. And they were going to have sex, but then she was like, oh, never mind. Hold on. Yeah, I might not be about this life, actually. Right. And you know what? It's okay to find that out. And this this very first ever, like, adventurous thing that she did, she got herpes. Oh. Yeah. That's it's okay to find that out too, guys. (laughs) Like, like maybe be a little more selective, Uh you know, but. Because up, up until it's okay this to point, ask certain questions, you it's, all. we're going to see that Amanda gets made out to be some kind of, like, psychotic sexual deviant. She had been with, like, four guys at this point, and they were all committed relationships. 
that that was she was just a normal Seattle kid. She was quirky and weird, but she was just a normal Seattle kid. It's almost like she was just like a like a just like, like just a like a normal person. person? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I know it's crazy. Like a young person who happened to be sexual. Don't even worry about it, my asex people. Like you you get it. <laughs> So the Amanda Knox trial reveals problems with the Italian justice system, but it reveals much more than that. It is a fascinating study of how people steeped in one culture can draw mistaken conclusions about the behavior of someone from a different culture. In addition, the Amanda Knox trial once again shows how miscarriages of justice can occur when authorities focus on a suspect, how confirmation bias can make innocent acts that the person seen um, incriminatory or of that person seem incriminatory and send common sense flying out the window. Now, Amanda, in her own words, began her high school career at Seattle prep as quote, the quirky kid who hung out with the sulky manga readers, the ostracized gay kids and the theater geeks End quote, our, our, our audience. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Basically I was the sulky goth kid, uh-huh. manga reader. Yep. And then, well, granted, I wasn't either of those in my high school days. That means you were the quirky friend. Yeah. Yep. Mm-hmm. She was the she. She always just ran with the outcasts. Yeah. Which we love that. But it ended as something of a as something of a soccer jock known for her blunt manner and general kookiness. Oh man, I know exactly who that is, and I. Fuck, I wish I could remember his name right now, but I'm so bad at that. I'll have to check the yearbook. But um, it was this guy that went to Yuli High School with us who was a jock. He was on the football team and stuff, uh-huh. and he fit in with them. But he would also hang out with us. Yeah. And, like, he was cool. Like, right. legit a very cool guy. Um, and, like, I, I wish I knew his name. I'd give him a shout-out. There was a kid I went to school with in junior high. He was a hardcore comic book geek. Yeah, like hard. He was one of those that if you even creased one of his comics, he would freak the fuck out. And so that was junior high. And then in high school, I went to a different high school than he did. But I remember seeing him and he had become a hard. He was uh, Latino. He'd become a cholo uh, gang banging just complete opposite of what he was mm-hmm. to the point that one night I was sitting in a restaurant that was outside of uh, our movie theater at home, my hometown. And I was sitting at a window and he came and he banged on the window and kind of did like, a, I'm going to blow your brains out motion to me. So just cause he recognized you. Yeah. How, how dare you be you there? <laughs> mm-hmm. So a friend described her as goofy, naive and trusting. And I wonder, was he doing that like as a front or where where it, it was it? It doesn't matter. <laughs> That's so strange. Yeah. Anyway. So, yeah. I mean, it happens, but still. A friend described her as goofy, naive, and trusting. In college at the University of Washington, her friends were mostly offbeat and male. She dated a mohawked, kilt-wearing, outdoorsy student named DJ. <clears throat> Fuck, she's Kelsey. <laughs> oh, Yeah. Yeah. Uh, She described herself as a hippie, enjoyed rock climbing, hiking, yoga, and theater. She made the dean's list while working as a barista and as an art gallery receptionist. Like, the quirky, weird friend who hung out with all the weird nerds. Uh Uh-huh. Like, yeah, that's Kelsey. So her closest college friend, Madison Paxton, said Amanda could sometimes be loud and offensive, but at the same time was always non-confrontational. That's almost just like boisterous if, uh-huh. if it was a guy. Amanda, 
Amanda's parents, Etta or Eda, Etta, Etta, I do believe. Etta and Kurt divorced when she was she and her sister Deanna were still young. Amanda Knox is white? Yes. It's good names. Amanda announced her decision to spend a year abroad in Italy at a rare two-parent lunch in April of 2007. So her parents divorced, right? But they kind of like made this agreement together that even though they were divorcing, even though they weren't working out, uh, that they were going to be the greatest co-parents of all time. Oh, that's So they bought houses two blocks away from each other. Cool. So that the girls could just go back and forth as they please. That's... Oh, fuck yeah, dude. And so they were like middle class. That's the um, best possible option for a divorce. Yeah. Her Equitable. dad had a had a really good job. He was like vice president of something at Macy's. So he had like a really yeah. like upper middle class ass job. Yeah. And uh, her mom, I don't remember what she did, but it was a little bit more modest than that. But, you know, they they had money. Yeah. And they had that conversation during the divorce where they were like, we're going to be the best co-parents yeah. ever, even though we're divorced, even though we might not even like each other anymore. We are going to be good parents still, both of us, to our kids. And and so they I they were understand. never like forced to choose yeah. or anything, um, but they did both kind of end up living with their mom, mm. um, just because she was the more like easygoing parent. Mm-hmm. So That's when always how when they works. were at the dad's house, it was like structure, yeah, rules, always use a coaster type of shit. Yeah. Uh, whereas at the mom's, it was like fuck it, let's have fun. Uh huh. So she expected her free-spirited and remarried mother to be on board, but her more linear thinking and practical father she was less sure of. That's still pretty good. But both agreed to Amanda's proposal and the planning began. Finding a place to stay for the year in Perugia, Perugia, Perugia. Perugia turned out to be a surprisingly easy decision. She fell in love with and agreed to rent the first place she checked out. And upstairs. So it was. It was the first place that she checked out. It was also like her only option because her and her sister, when they were on that like preemptive, we got to find housing trip. They like got lost. Yeah. And luckily, uh, ran into a hitchhiker that wasn't a serial killer, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, he drove them <laughs> to Perugia. It was like the end of the day, yeah. basically, and they were like, "Fuck, we're I'm I'm fucked. We I go back home tomorrow." I'm going to get here and I'm going to have no housing and I'm going to have to find it right as the school year is starting when it's going to be wildly more difficult. Yeah. And so she said, fuck it. And she approached uh, a woman. I cannot remember her name. Uh, it was maybe Philomena. Um, and she Philomena was like, slim. Philomena. I can't remember her last Damn. name. She approached her and she was like, uh, do you happen to know of anywhere that I could rent a room? I'm going to be, Going here from foreign exchange. Luckily, she spoke English, um, because Amanda Knox did not speak Italian fluently at this point. And uh, luckily, the first person that she approached uh, just so happened to be like, "Yeah, I've got a room." (laughs) So far, like, I don't want to go too far with this one, Uh because I know that some crazy shit ends up happening. Yeah, but so far. This sounds like the life I could have had if I was white. Like, yeah. you know what I mean? Like, and I don't want that. 
for sure. Like, uh-huh. I don't prefer that, I guess yeah. I should say. But, like, in an alternate universe, there's a me who went to Italy or Japan and was just, like, over there. Yeah. Just chilling. Like, <laughs> learning a language, going over there with no information, none. Just, I want to float over to another continent and fucking try it. Like, yeah. we're going to do that with a state. You That's know? yeah, we are, and we might do it with the continent later, but we'll, that'll be later. So yeah, so the place she moved in was an upstairs bedroom in a two-level stone, three hundred-year-old villa on top of a hill and close to the university. Gorgeous. So the gorgeous villa- little villa. So God, the- I I can see it in my mind. <laughs> so the villa at number seven, Via della Pergola, was occupied by a number of other young people, both male and female. Fuck, I might just go to Italy, man. <laughs> Men lived on the basement level, while two Italian women, Laura and Philomena, roomed together on the upper level. Space for one additional woman remained unrented. Now, Amanda's initial reaction was that the villa felt like a happy place. And as satisfied as Amanda was with her new lodgings, it was located <coughs> close to a seedy urban piazza frequented by drug dealers. Now, shortly after renting the room in Perugia, while traveling with her sister in Germany, Amanda learned the name of a new roommate, Meredith Kircher. Yeah, she got like an email. That was like, okay, there's going to be one more roommate. We had one more room available. It's going to be this girl. Get here. We're going to have a great time. We're all going to be best friends. Uh, Now, uh, Meredith was a British exchange student. Now, Amanda and Meredith met for the first time on September 20th, 2007, when she moved to Perugia. Now, although Amanda considered her more mainstream and demure than she'd ever be, the two seemed to hit it off. Amanda said she liked Meredith a lot. Meredith was attractive, smart, and a bit of a perfectionist. Amanda and Meredith got along well and never argued. They attended events together, smoked weed together, and went out for pizza together. According to Amanda, the two had a... Smoke weed in Italy? Apparently. Uh, No, it was not legal. Oh. No. Oh. But they're all fucking college kids. Also, though, like, that's pretty... Smoking weed in Italy does sound like a blast, yeah. Yeah. Uh, according to Amanda, the two had an easy togetherness, but Meredith, who was in Perugia studying political theory and the history of cinema, had her own circle of friends from the UK and did most of her partying with them. Bro. Oh my God. Imagine getting high in Italy, getting the munchies, going for authentic, actual Italian food, and then just go see a museum about spaghetti Westerns from Italy. (laughs) I thought you were about to say a museum about spaghetti, you know, it's just like... Like, for real, though. Good day. Yeah. And so it's their relationship was, like, good. But you'll see later people try and make it out like either they were best friends or they actually hated each other. Right. Neither are true. They hung out together like roommates do. Mm-hmm. They sometimes went out and did stuff together, but also had their own separate lives. They were relatively close because they lived on the same level of the the villa because it was three stories a basement that yeah. had male roommates the middle level which had um amanda and meredith and then the top level i believe which had uh philomena and laura so in perugia amanda rose early to run through a series of yoga poses and strung her guitar she'd walk to her 9 a.m italian class taking a seat in the front row but she clearly enjoyed her laid back, the laid-back style of the country, riding on her Foxy Noxy, a name that she said she was given because of her skills of, on the junior high soccer field, 
Yeah, they uh, said she moved like a fox. Yeah, my, she was playing soccer. MySpace That's page, sick. Yeah, she talked about smoking weed. <laughs> Can you imagine a bunch of Italian college kids just looking at her and going "Volpes"? <laughs> <laughs> no, uh, it was when she was in like junior high. Oh, okay, yeah. okay, okay. So she talked about smoking weed and praised Italy's three-hour lunch breaks, saying having all that time in the middle of the day reminds you that life isn't all about going to work and making money. Amanda's classes in Italy were somewhat short, only around two hours a day, five days a week. To fill some of, more of her duty, um, more of her time, sorry, Amanda took a job at a local nightclub called La Chic. I think she said in, in her own words, uh, she was expecting to be part of this like scholarly program in -hmm. Italy, and it ended up being like no work. Wow. So I, I heard somewhere else, uh, this isn't verifiable. I don't remember if this was hearsay or not, but her classes were five days a week and like two hours long. So with the rest of the time that she had in Italy, a beautiful, beautiful city in Italy, uh, she figured, you know, she'd get a job, make some extra money while she's there, and also actually be part of the culture and workforce there. Yeah. Damn. Sam. I know. Sounds great, right? Yeah. Yeah. Too bad. Mm -hmm. Her duties included handing out flyers and bartending under her boss, Patrick Lumumba. Did I say that right? You did. Okay. Nice. Downstairs in the villa, the party never seemed to end. He was from the Congo, I believe. Yes. Young people came and went, joints were smoked, wine was drunk, and music played. One night, one of the downstairs visitors was a lanky basketball-playing Italian man, originally from the Ivory Coast, who people called the Baron. His real name was Rudy... Gide. Gide. Rudy ended up drunk and sleeping on a toilet full of unflushed feces. Oh, no. This interjection may seem out of place, but let's keep a pin in that for the time being. I'll let you know when to take the pin out of it. So Rudy I'd had rather not. So Rudy had oh, first well. noticed Amanda. <laughs> Rudy had first noticed Amanda at the Lachit Club. Rudy <laughs> later said that he was very attracted to Amanda, writing in a letter, going to bed with her. Yes, that was the goal. He also desired Meredith, writing, damn, she was beautiful. It, it's worth pointing out, everyone had, like, <clears throat> the weirdest level of attraction to Amanda, and it was largely because she was this blonde American girl in Italy. Yeah. That she was, you know, quote-unquote, exotic to yep. them. Yep. That's, that's the crux of it. Yeah, that's why I want to go somewhere like Italy. <laughs> yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, fair. So on October 25th, Amanda and Meredith decided to take in a performance of classical music. Somewhere where my Southern American black Georgia accent sounds like music to people. Yeah. That's where I want to go. So as the musicians warmed up, Amanda noticed a young brown-haired man wearing wire-rimmed glasses. They exchanged, they exchanged smiles. And when Meredith left to meet friends at intermission, uh, the young man took her seat. Yo, okay, so let me tell you rafael uh solicito mm-hmm. is his oh, name good name yeah oh dude i so, don't i don't have context when i'm saying that i just want to make it clear i am not, i don't have context for what these people have done yet we like rafael okay cool um <laughs> at this point rafael is such like a like a goofy nerdy looking dude um i do want to see and then in the like now 
What a fucking hunk, dude. What a dream boat. He pulled a he pulled a Josh from Drake and Josh. Oh yeah. Oh or yeah. a Neville from Harry Potter. Yes. Dude, he's <laughs> he's so hot. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> What's his name? Uh Rafael Solacito. So that was him at the time of, and he was just oh, like this goofy nerdy look looking at him. dude. Okay, okay. Oh, what a nerd. <laughs> look at this hunk. God damn, dude. What? Yeah. Holy shit. Right. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. <laughs> Man because got contacts and slicked his hair back, lifted some weights. Like, woo. Oh, you, you got to see him with the long hair, man. It, with the he's long so hair? dreamy. Yes. <laughs> I just realized why women love this podcast. <laughs> <laughs> God damn. I know. What, what the fuck? Everybody wants to talk about, oh, Amanda Knox was pretty, yeah, whatever. Look at Raphael. Jesus. All right. So Raphael was a 23-year-old virgin, a computer major, and the only son of a Ain't no shame in the game, dog. Don't even say it like that, homie. And so he was like a very, very hopeless romantic. So hopeless romantic. so adorable. He did the whole love at first sight thing with Amanda. Um also, I don't know. I I meant to edit that part out because I sometimes don't like the the language that Professor Linder uses in the documentaries. I cut out like two other instances of him calling Raphael a virgin. God, it's it really it weird. It's really weird. Uh, I he so he got like made fun of for like he left to college and came back still a virgin. But I think Bro, he, he, had, he had like maybe been with one other girl at this point because he was diehard hopeless romantic. Wow. Yeah. I, I, man. I and he that. was like 23. Three. Yeah. To be to be young. Okay. I know, right? <laughs> like, so Amanda described Raphael as humble, thoughtful, and respectful, as well as nerdy and adorable. So later that night, the two walked together to Raphael's apartment where they shared a joint. Where Amanda... Hey! Uh-huh. Blaze it. When Amanda told Raphael that he looked like Harry Potter... Oh, where Amanda told Raphael that he looked like Harry Potter and where they had sex. After that evening, Amanda did not spend another night in her room in the villa or on Via our Villa on Via della Pergola. They became, in Amanda's words, a thing. Oh yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right, Raphael. On November first, two thousand seven, Amanda left. That's Ra- what happened. Is he found out he was all right. Yeah. <laughs> like on November 1st, 2007, Amanda left Raphael's apartment to spend a few hours at her own place. Raphael came over later, and the two were eating pasta when Meredith came out of her room. After taking a shower, uh, came out of her room after taking a shower and said that she was off to spend some time with friends, saying, see ya, ciao, as she was heading out the front door. I am truly looking at Don as if he is explaining the plot of a soap opera that I like. Yeah. <laughs> like, I'm like, oh. Meredith? <laughs> no, dude, it, it really is, like, right up until the murder. Well, yeah. It, it, it's well, then it's a, a soap opera, but, like, in a way worse way. Right, well, it's such a cute little, like, it's almost a coming-of-age story. You yeah, know? that's, oh, that's what it is. I'm like, oh, look at this person grow up. Right. Wow. Exactly. It goes to Italy, gets herself a job, meets this... Uh, charming italian guy they're having a blast together man 
to be 23 in Italy. It, right. <laughs> like he, he like he takes her out uh to get some perfume and insists that uh he buy it for her because uh all Italian women have their own signature scent. So Damn, they have to son. go get her her signature scent. That's hot. And he sh- I know. <laughs> dude, what a dream boat. Hot. What a dream boat. I don't give a fuck. And, <laughs> and uh it, it's just this lovely little story and then a, it turns into a horror film. Yeah. Way less excited about that part. Yeah. It enjoy this for very shortly, much longer. So those that conversation was the last words the two roommates would ever exchange. Oh no. It's starting. That much shorter? Yeah. yeah. So Fuck. in the late afternoon, Amanda and Raphael went back to Raphael's place. They decided to download Amanda's all time favorite movie, Amelie. About eight thirty, Amanda realized Is it not Amelie? Amelie. Amelie. Okay. Or uh, Amelie. Right. What what is it? What is that about? Real quick, just cliff notes. Isn't it like a quirk, quirky girl? Yeah, I think so. Just basically a quirky Italian Amelie. girl. This podcast is powered by Podbean Podcast Hosting. Are you thinking about starting your own podcast or looking for the best home for your podcast? Check out all the amazing features Podbean offers with unlimited bandwidth and storage for an affordable price. That's right, unlimited. Visit www.podbean.com slash unlimited to check it out today. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash unlimited. So about 8.30, Amanda realized that it was one of her regular work nights at La Chique. Checking her phone, she was relieved to find a text from Patrick uh, Lumumba telling her that that after the Halloween crowds the night before, he expected the night to be slow and she needn't come in. Amanda texted back at 8.30, Se vediamo più tarde buono serata. You did it better than I did. Which means, see you later, have a good evening. It, and that is the literal translation. This is going to be incredibly important later. That is the literal translation of the phrase. Oh, Jesus. Because she was learning Italian, right? So yeah. she she went out there, she was speaking like, <clears throat> I, hate, I hate to use this term for it, but she was speaking very, like, quote-unquote, broken Italian. Yeah, like she was kid. in the process of learning as she was living in italy yeah she could you know it's the time where if you are a native speaker you should be the most supportive yeah like teach them a yes. one word whatever like, yeah so amanda turned off her phone stated just in case he changed his mind uh when the movie ended about nine ten, they ate a fish dinner dealt with a leaky kitchen sink and smoked a joint amanda sitting in Raphael's lap read aloud from a harry potter in italian to help her learn the language my bad i had that wrong uh she was reading it in german she was already bilingual she spoke german because she had a, a grandmother or an aunt who lived in germany and they would go visit nice. so she already spoke german pretty well she was about to be trilingual <coughs> but that that night so this is like the fateful night right yeah um uh, Raphael was in the in the kitchen washing the dishes, and the sink was you know being shitty. But she was in there like giving him a back rub mm-hmm. while he was washing the dishes because just made it easier so for cute. both of them. I know, adorable, adorable. Um, I would watch that rom com, bro. <laughs> uh, me too. <laughs> like for real. Me for too. Real. And telling him, uh, you know, w- don't worry about this little thing. 
it's everything's gonna be fine. Look at this beautiful city that we're in. Yeah. This leaky sink is nothing. <sighs> we don't need to sweat this. Yeah. Everything's this is a gonna be problem. fine. It's yeah. fine. Uh huh. So after reading Harry Potter in German, which was a nightly tradition, the couple had sex and went to sleep. So the next morning, Amanda walked back to her place and found nobody home. She noticed a smear of blood on the bathroom faucet. She took a shower before noticing what looked like more blood on a bath mat. Then she noticed feces in the toilet. Now, none of Let's her... take a pin out of that thing I said <laughs> to put a pin in earlier. Oh, no. None of her roommates she knew would leave the toilet unflushed. Something was wrong. And that was on the, the second story. where uh, Who was it again that fell asleep on this? Rudy Gita. This was a fellow roommate? Uh, he was friends with the male roommates on the bottom floor. Yeah, but he had a thing. He had, he, had, he had a thing for both Amanda and for Meredith. To sleep with them. Was yeah. His, yeah. Uh-huh. uh-huh. <clears throat> and so this is a thing here that makes a lot of even reasonable people who are first hearing about the case think that Amanda might be guilty. So she got back. Her front door was open. Uh-huh. Weird. I would be super creeped out if I got home and my front door was open. I would open. definitely check the house. Right. But their latch on the door, it was a 300-year-old house. My latch does that also. Yes. So she got home and, you know, it's a it's a villa with well, one, two, three, four, like six or seven people total living in it. Yeah. She figures somebody fucked up. They forgot to latch the door. It blew open. Whatever. So she goes to the bathroom, um, or she went to her bedroom and grabbed her stuff and went to the bathroom. Uh, she went into the bathroom, and there was some blood on the faucet. Not a whole lot, and there were some droplets in the sink where Maybe she's thinking nosebleed. somebody had a nosebleed, somebody cut themselves, Something. whatever. They were cleaning off in the sink. She still thought it was a little weird that they didn't clean it up mm-hmm. because everyone on her floor, which, again, I can't remember if it was... Whatever. They were all kind of neat freaks, except for Amanda. She was like the slobby one. Mm-hmm. Um, still, whatever. Weird. But the combination of the two things, I feel like I would be a little bit more weirded out about. But again, so many people live in this house. College kids, too. College kids. So many college kids live in this house. They're not even really people. They're college kids. Yeah. There's a difference. Yeah. And it so, is a whole different thing. Yep, again, she's like, okay, fucking weird, whatever. She jumps in the shower, and as she's getting out, she notices blood on the bath mat. A little bit more this time. Um, Like a little clump. And so now she's thinking, okay, well, it was definitely somebody cut themselves really bad. Or it was like a really bad nosebleed. I would think maybe somebody hit their head in the shower. Yeah. Or something, because that would make that much blood. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And then she goes to get the blow dryer, and as she's like leaning over to blow dry her hair, is when she notices that there's shit in the toilet. And that, for whatever reason, was like the last straw for her, where she was like, okay, nope. I live with women. Nope. Nope, nope, nope. Yeah. And she got the fuck out of the house. Women do have a different relationship with blood than men. Yeah, yeah exactly. So this is a, that's a big component. Yeah, and a different relationship with shit, frankly. I mean, yeah. Because if I lived with, if I was on a floor with like three other dudes, 
and somebody left a shit in the toilet, I'd be like, that's a fat shit, bro, and I'd flush it. Absolutely not. <laughs> absolutely not. I'm so and, sorry. And then, I was and then raised I w- by Gerald Maynard, and absolutely well, not. And then I would track them down later and be like, you're fucking stupid. Flush your shit. <laughs> So she called her mother first, then her roommates. She called. I'd be like, "You made me clean up your shit from the toilet. I don't give a fuck. You owe me ten dollars." Uh, she called Philomena first and learned that she had spent the night at her boyfriend's, and that her and that her other Italian roommate Laura was in Rome on business. She dialed Meredith's number, but there was no answer. Amanda walked back to Raphael's and described the scene at her villa. Raphael said they needed to go back and look around. Back inside, they gasped when they opened the door to Philomena's room and found the window shattered and glass everywhere. The room was a mess with clothes piled everywhere. Ransacked. The, they next tried open- I don't know if you all have ever seen a room that's been ransacked in real life. That shit is jarring. It's distressing. It's, yeah, absolutely. It's wild. And, like, it's never, like, at a house that I have lived in or anything like that, but, like, I have seen ransacked rooms and damn oh it's fucked up so they next tried opening the door to meredith's room but it was locked they went outside to see if they could peer into the room from an outside window but by getting a good look inside proved impossible what year was this this was 2007 2007 call the police well Uh, they called the police Uh Uh, that was literally the next sentence yeah nice (laughs) meredith did not lock her door ever yeah, well, sometimes when you live in a certain type of neighborhood, that happens. So now it's fight or flight, yeah, full on, because a room is ransacked. There's blood, and a shit. person who's uh, their shit. Which now you're thinking, oh, there's a different relationship that shit has with death. Uh huh. Yep. And Meredith, who never locks her door, her door is locked shut. They can't get in. Uh, Amanda tried to like get on her knees. And hands and like peer under the door. Yeah. And she even, she told Raphael, she was like, can you please try to break this door down? Because she does not lock her door. She's not answering. She's not answering her phone. I don't know if she's okay. And he like kicked at the door a couple of times, but couldn't get it down. They were like, nope, fuck this. We call the police. So they I went outside. The at the ransacked room, honestly. Yeah. But I get it. Right. They, well, also, um, her laptop and a very nice camera were still in the room. Yeah, but I guess it's 2007. The most expensive things that would have been owned by a college student. Well, I'm I'm saying 2007, like, I don't know what relationship college kids had in 2007 with NCIS. Oh, fair. But, but – I know what my relationship was, and it would have been that if there's still expensive shit here, that means somebody was kidnapped or murdered. Yeah. Um, it, I'll make a or little bit more. Or it was an artifact. I'll make a little bit That's more sense joke, of it for you later. Um, but so they go outside, and <clears throat> before they can actually even fully call the police... Um, Actually, go go ahead and read on. So Raphael and Amanda were huddled together in the driveway when an officer from the Postal Police, a unit that deals with tech crimes, approached them. So this was not the police that they called. This was a different branch of the police. Tech crimes? Yeah. So the officer reported that two cell phones, both of which belonged to Meredith, had been found and turned into them that morning. Might they know anything about that? 
so Meredith had two phones, uh, one that was like an Italian phone and one that was her British phone, she which she had two. on roaming because oh. I believe her mom was not in the best health. Yeah. So she constantly had that one enabled so that if anything happened with her mother, she would be able to receive the call. Right. Uh, remember roaming charges. Yeah. Damn. Well, I, I don't Those know how international happen. charges work yeah, now. True. So I worked at a phone store. I should. <laughs> So, I vaguely remember, I, and very speaking of, vaguely. it's basically roaming. Still. That company is hiring in West in West Vernon. I, fuck that company. I will go and I will piss on their <laughs> windows. I actually, I matched with a girl on Hinge yeah. that worked at that cricket. Oh. Yeah, and we bonded over how much fuck cricket. <laughs> <laughs> so that's when Philomena arrived. Upon learning that Meredith's door was locked, she began shouting at the police, demanding that they break it open. The postal police resisted, saying that it was outside their authority, but Philomena's boyfriend, who arrived with her, succeeded in kicking the door down. Yeah, Philomena was having none of this timid-ass bullshit. I- immediately, she was like, nah, go in, kick the door down. Yeah. So, um, what they saw was horrifying, and the sh- police shouted, everyone out of the house now. Inside the room, a foot poked out from Meredith's comforter. The walls and floor were streaked in blood. Lifting the comforter, police saw Meredith's body, naked from the waist down. A sliced-off bra lay next to her body. Her t-shirt was saturated with blood. Her neck showed multiple and deep stab wounds. Police would later discover the definitive evidence that Meredith had been raped before her murder. Jesus. In the afternoon, police questioned Amanda and Raphael separately. So, the crime scene was bad. Bad. Like, bloody handprint on the wall type bad and she was fully covered with the comforter at first until the police started investigating the room but we're gonna see that that'll become it's i think it's in the script i'm jumping ahead whatever um they're gonna say that oh definitely a woman did this because they covered the body what and that's the level of investigative professionalism (laughs) that happens in this case they're like oh it must have been a woman the body was covered what Uh uh-huh so uh, they, they police interviewed Amanda first in Italian and then in English for six hours. And so bear in mind, again, she does not speak Italian well, and they are grilling her in Italian for hours before they finally get somebody who speaks English to actually be able to ask her comprehensible questions. Yeah. And she's thinking at this point uh, that she is going to be helpful. By communicating as much as possible, telling them everything she knows. Yeah. But what they saw was her and Raphael, like, hugging and kind of, like, tenderly kissing to comfort each other. Uh Which, in Italian culture, looks very, very bad. Yeah, sure. But it's really, like, we would know... uh, holding each other close in a situation like that would make sense. In 2007, Hollywood movies are already internationally popular, particularly in Italy. So, like, fuck that is all I'm saying. Like, you've been to the theater. You know what the fuck is happening. Yeah. So They're traumatized. They need a hug, (coughs) maybe a little kiss. You know? Yeah. It just happens. So although... I think perhaps a kiss might be inappropriate, but that's not... That's me. You know what I'm saying? Sure, but they're also in full-on puppy love, honeymoon mode. Right. Yeah. 
So although Amanda didn't know it, uh, police already considered both her and her boyfriend suspects. Although their first working assumption was that the killer was probably someone Meredith met at a Halloween party the night before, but Amanda raised suspicions because they thought the break-in looked staged. They thought a killer who would cover a naked body with a blanket was most likely a female. Taking a shower in a blood-splattered bathroom made no sense. Finally, Amanda's behavior, her kissing and hugging Raphael, didn't seem to them like the sort of grieving you'd expect from someone whose roommate had just been brutally murdered. I... And so she didn't she didn't see the room, mind you, right. at this point. She she hadn't seen the room. She maybe caught a glimpse of it, but she didn't like go in or anything. She got told by one of the cops that was interrogating her, um she she was like in denial. She was like, "Are you sure she's dead? She can't be dead. This doesn't make any sense." And the the officer, uh, like, kind of nodded and said, "Hmm," like really condescendingly, and did the like finger at the throat slip motion at her, and she started fucking panicking. Yeah, yeah, she's having a full on fucking like damn near psychotic break at this point. And Raphael is holding her to comfort her because he's like, man, this girl that I just fell madly in love with is about to have a full-on breakdown. Yeah. And he's comforting her in the way that she wants to be comforted according to her American sensibilities. Yeah. And this is the big difference is that Italian sensibilities in a situation like this are not – they're different. Yeah. They would be, yeah. But all I'm, not, I'm when I say fuck that, what I mean is, they, they, they know she's American by this point. Yeah, there's no fucking way. Mm-hmm. So like, of like number one, that's fully why they suspect her. First of all, yeah, because America has an association with violence. If we're talking about associations this episode, um, but like they again, you've seen Hollywood movies. There, Hollywood doesn't make its money unless you've seen those movies. Yeah. Period. Then Hollywood be making that money. And Hollywood be making that money. But also, like, there is one thing I do kind of agree on, which is the blood-spattered bathroom with the shit in the toilet. Mm-hmm. But that's mostly because I don't know the layout of the bathroom. Now, I'm not 100% clear. I think that the, the shit may have actually been in the other bathroom where she had to go to get the hair dryer. Ah, she was borrowing okay. it, I believe. That, I'm not a, I'm I'm still a little bit foggy on that. I really wanted to read her book. Her book is supposed to be incredible. That that makes a little bit more her sense. her memoir about this whole ordeal. Yeah. Um of course I, you know, I didn't have time. I got to hear people's reviews of the book, which are all glowing. Um and a lot of other media that I listened to about the case that summarized large portions of it, which is where I'm getting a lot of the the more minor details that I'm interjecting with, as well as from the, the Netflix documentary, Amanda Knox, mm-hmm. which is a very good documentary. It has parts that I don't like, but if you want to see what the devil looks like, his name is Nick Pisa. <laughs> we should got to connect in Chicago. Like, I don't know what you like. What were we talking about? It was uh, this. It was 
and it's these circumstantial pieces of evidence that would land Amanda and Rafa would lead to Amanda and Raphael spending a total of 1,426 days, just less than four years in prison for a crime that they did not commit. And that is with the, it is with this detail. God damn it. <laughs> it's with these details of their interrogations and trials that we will pick back up next week. So a little shorter for this first part. But it's because you're going to see when we get into episode two, there's no real good way to break that up. Introducing you to everyone and the crime that was committed uh, is about all that we can really do for... What did you say? If I want to see the devil, his name is what? Nick Pisa. He is a... We're we're not really going to get into him in the... In the script, is he the documentarian? Here. No, he no, he is a reporter for the uh, Daily Telegraph. In yes, I believe it was Daily Telegraph. Oh fuck him! Yeah, yeah. British press. No, I yeah, yeah. The the devil, the devil, <laughs> evil. He says the quiet part out loud. He literally says, "Uh, you know, as soon as I get information, I have to print it. What am I going to fact check it and let someone else beat me to it?" Jesus Christ. Yeah. Uh-huh. So that's going to wrap up this episode. Uh, we don't have much to talk about. Uh, we have a TikTok account now. I'm putting out videos at least once a week, possibly a couple, you know, a week. <laughs> uh, for the most part right now, they're clips, but I have done a couple standalone little things. Uh, also, if you could go to Podbean, which is our server... And just follow us on Podbean to give us a little traction there to see if we can't uh, make it into their algorithm and kind of pick up the speed a little bit. Uh, You don't have to do anything else but just click a follow and then turn off the notifications if you don't want to be bothered. It'll just tell you when we release episodes. Other than that, uh, I think that wraps it up. Uh, Fuck cancer. Fuck cancer. Fuck cancer. Shouts out to the plant babes. Be good to yourselves. Yes. And thank you for coming or listening or doing whatever the hell you're doing. And if you're coming, don't tell us. Don't. Yeah. And we will see you guys next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.